wonderful to be here with my teacher, Rabbi Gore, as well. So this evening, having thanked Rabbi Gore, now with trepidation, I was going to give a bit of, an, of a different type of a Devar Torah this evening. Um, I'm, I titled this a Marxist analysis of Parshat Shmot. That is, trying to look at this week's Torah portion, and most specifically, Pharaoh's actions in terms of economic factors and what might be bringing Pharaoh to um, attempting to enslave the Jewish people. So I think there's actually an interesting story to be told here behind the scenes if we look deeper into the text of the Torah portion and the end of the book of Genesis, which sets the people of Israel in Egypt now, all of the children of Joseph, um, and gets us to today's chapter in which, again, a Pharaoh will arise who does not know Joseph. Our commentators ask the question, what does this mean, does not know Joseph? Is this an entirely new Pharaoh who has not heard of what Joseph did for Egypt? Is this the very same Pharaoh who just forgot how he got all of his power and how his nation was saved through Joseph's leadership and saving up through seven years of strong harvest to prepare for seven years of famine? I think actually there's another way of looking at this in the declining relationship between Joseph and Pharaoh. And it comes at the very end of the book of Genesis. And again, a section that is, is um, often glossed over. Once Jacob and all of his sons have come down and Joseph has reunited with them, has forgiven them, that they are united in the, the, the area of Goshen, which is a suburb basically um, there in Egypt, Joseph does something very curious. As the famine is still raging on, the people of Egypt come to Joseph and ask for additional provisions. And there are three rounds of them, attempt, of them coming to Joseph. This is all from Genesis chapter 47. In the first, they come and offer all of their money to Joseph, saying, we have nothing left. Take all of our money, lest we die, lest we starve in our land. And so Joseph collects all of the funds of the people on his behalf and for Pharaoh. When their food runs out, the people come back to Joseph a second time. And this time they say, we have no money. Take all of our livestock, take all of our cattle, and take them into your ownership, and we will receive food from you. Now, of course, without their cattle and livestock, it will be very hard for them to make their own, to be, to be subsistent on their own, and they become subsistent clearly upon Joseph and Pharaoh. When that runs out, they come back to Joseph a third time. And they say there at this time, um, this is in verse 19, please buy us and our land for bread, and we and our land will be bondmen unto you and Pharaoh, and give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land be not desolate. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for the Egyptians sold every man his field, because the famine was sore upon them, and the land became Pharaoh's. And as for the people, he removed them city by city from one end of the border of Egypt even to the other end thereof. By the end of this narrative, Joseph is a feudal lord of the Egyptian lands, and the Egyptians have become essentially sharecroppers, receiving their seeds and their land on lease from Joseph and from Pharaoh, who then take the best of their harvest as their own. 
in all, we can read this section of chapter 47 of Genesis as Joseph using the opportunity of drought for his own and for Pharaoh's gain. The very end of chapter 47 reads that Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they got them possessions therein, and they were fruitful and multiplied exceedingly. That is, the people who were in possession of all of these assets then benefited and multiplied. I think it's no coincidence then that in this week's Torah portion, the exact same language is used to introduce the Israelites. It says, and the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceedingly mighty and the land was filled with them. Right? We just learned about the Egyptians being removed entirely from the land and now we hear of the land being 100% full with the Israelites. And exactly the next line, that a new, that a, a new king over Egypt arose who did not know Joseph. So there's something to be said here about Joseph's tactics in turning the Egyptians into subsistent sharecroppers to Joseph and to Pharaoh. Now, I think the next piece of this puzzle comes in Pharaoh's recommended solution for dealing with the Israelites. It says in chapter one, verse 11 of the book of Exodus, this week's Torah portion, therefore they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. That's how it's usually translated. But looking at the Hebrew, it says, Vayishmu alav sarei misim, which literally means they put over them chiefs of tax collection. We never really read the story of Exodus this way, but Amas is a tax. And Pharaoh's first tactic is to try to win back some of those lost funds by putting over the Israelites tax collectors to more heavily tax this minority group in order to gain funds for the majority who feel as though they have been taken advantage of. While this might sound overly cynical, you might say, Rabbi Jaffe, you're reading this in far too many economic terms. I want to pause here for a second and turn to the story of Purim and the book of Esther, in which I believe a very similar case occurs. We often learn as we're growing up that Haman, he plots to kill the Jews because he does not like the Jews. But if you look again deep into the text of the book of Esther, Haman never actually asks to kill the Jews. He comes to Ahasuerus and says, there is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of thy kingdom, and they don't keep your laws. If it please the king, let it be written that they be destroyed, and I will pay, Haman will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those that have the charge of the king's business to bring it into the king's treasuries. Why is it that Haman is paying Ahasuerus in this situation? If we read our commentators on this section, it's believed that what he is doing is purchasing the right to tax the Israelites. As Ahasuerus is most often linked to King Xerxes, who pursues a very costly war in an attempt to um, conquer all the way out through Ethiopia and eventually runs into Greece, the area of Persia is heavily in debt. Meanwhile, the Israelites, being a minority group, did not serve in Xerxes' army, in Ahasuerus' army. Rather than having the king be burdened with, the, with taxation, basically Haman buys the right for 10,000 talents to tax the Israelites, and anything after that 10,000 will go to Haman. 
That way it's really it's nice and clean and easy for the king to get the funds immediately while potentially profitable for Haman. So again, we have two cases now, first in Exodus and the other one in Esther, in which through economic terms, people are seeking to even the score they feel that is unfair with the Israelites due to these economic terms. I, so what does this tell us? What's the Nechemta, Rabbi? Where's the learning in this? Other than trying to figure out interesting ways of reading the Torah. I think that from the outset, we've all learned that a basic rule of negotiation is that if you win too much in your short-term negotiations, you create instability and resentment on behalf of your negotiating partner. And that ultimately, it's always best to have both sides feeling like they come away with something. If there's anything we can fault the Israelites with in this week's Torah portion, it's by taking too much advantage of the Egyptians, leading to an environment of hostility and resentment that would, that would enable Pharaoh to rise and pursue the strategy of enslaving the Israelites. Who knows? Perhaps a less onerous arrangement would have erased the need for setting a tax on the Israelites and eventually having them serve as slaves. And so I think the lesson for this week's Torah portion is that perhaps winning a bit less in the short term often means winning a lot more in the long term. May we be blessed with our own feelings of forgiveness and moderation in our dealings with others, both financial and otherwise. Shabbat Shalom.